Thanks for tuning in to Culture Car ATX. I'm your co-host, Michael Ward Jr., here with Donald Scott II. Our goal at Culture Crawl ATX is to change the world one conversation at a time. We hope you enjoy this episode. So today for Culture Crawl ATX, we wanted to have a very, very in-depth conversation, an important conversation, just based on where we are right now in our environment. Um, here, you know, where we're going to be focusing on, on Texas specifically, we, we may talk about other other places um, around the world, but we do want to focus in on, on Texas and what we're seeing, just given some of the violations against our rights. Right now, if you are being aware of the news and what's going on, there's been several bills that have been pushed through the Capitol here in Texas that is a direct violation of voting rights. And some would say is voter oppression or voter suppression. Um, call it what you want. But unfortunately, they are restricting individuals by using words and using language to create more barriers as to when, how, why individuals can vote. Mind you, I am not saying that we need to have fraudulent elections. That is not at all what I'm saying. I'm all for making things fair, making sure that things are, are as... Uh, as in a line as they can be. And now it actually push to have voting be transparent <laughs> so everybody can see exactly what's going on um, versus having it be controlled and mandated by a select few that aren't listening to the voice of the people. So despite outrage from religious groups, despite outrage from community organizations, Despite outrage from individual contributors and citizens of America, there has still been no, what's the right word? There hasn't been a true ear and a true understanding and a true just mindset that actually connects with the community, given the, the disturbances and the outcry that we're seeing. So when we think about voting and we think about the rights of the people, the rights of the people belong to the people. It don't belong to the government. And I know it can be difficult and it can be hard to believe that you have a voice, that you have something to say because you're focusing on your job, you're focusing on your family, you're focusing on all these other distractions while decisions are being made at the Capitol that directly impact your rights as a human being and as an American citizen. Yeah, um, I heard you say something and I just remembered that maybe I'll try and bring another buddy on to talk about this, but in North Carolina, you can use, or you can see how someone votes. Uh, and it's very transparent, it's very open. And, and what my buddy was saying is that before he goes and gets like a, uh, medical procedures or before he goes to the dentist, before he thinks about, you know, anything that's not associated with politics, but is associated with the with a person's character, he checks their voting history. Uh, because you can tell, especially in North Carolina, right? If, if you check to see who someone voted, I don't, and I don't know if it's, it's specifically their voting card and the individuals they voted for, if they voted, you know, Republican or, or Democrat or independent, uh, but he makes his decisions for dentists, for example, on a person's voting history. And it makes sense 
when when he brought it up, some people were like, well, that that doesn't sound fair to the individual because, you know, but we're all supposed to be uh, working together and, and respecting each other's ideals, right? But at the same time, if you pay attention to the healthcare access, let's see, the disparities of health treatment among different groups, you're likely to find that someone who votes Republican may not give you the highest quality of service, even if that service is not necessarily the what you went in for the procedure, but just that that um, bedside manner, listening, right? When, it, when we hear about, for example, it was in the news that the doctors don't listen to black women. Okay, well, how many black women are going to black female doctors, right? So, so when you start thinking about the politics associated with the individual and whether or not that information should or should not be made available, if we have the ability to look somebody up on LinkedIn and do all these other things, especially in this climate where politics is overlapping, um, what would I say, how you, how you present yourself in this world, we should be able to, to see how people vote and it should be compulsory. Uh, I'll, I'll pause there a little bit so as not to um, take up, you know, take up too many <laughs> minutes. So but, but there is. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I've, I've actually never heard of that. Michael, I don't, I don't know. You, you actually went to school in, in North Carolina. Were you aware of this? Not at all. That's the first time I heard about this. I was actually going to do some research and see, wait a minute, you can see all yeah. that stuff because it should be that way. So I, I'll, I'll take the counterpoint, the devil's advocate, or, you know, just to be fair, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if I agree with it now. I, I admit, I don't fully understand what that looks like. But what I would worry about, and let's think about North Carolina. North Carolina is still a red state, right? Um, should be turning into kind of a swing state, but then also is, you know, similar to a lot of the other red states where there's the, the blue co urban cores, but then gerrymandering everything else. It, it, it's causing, it, it, it's where the urban cores can't out both the way that they've uh, sectioned the districts of all the rural areas. What I think about in that is, I think about peer pressure, right? And yes, we're talking about adults. We're not talking about teenagers. But if you know that a successful group of powerful people, maybe these are the people who are employers, maybe these are the people who are the police officers, maybe these are, you know, anybody who has some type of influence in a community, you know, if you're putting that information out there and they're saying, you know, same thing, I'm not going to hire you if I feel like you don't vote the way that I want to vote. And let's be honest, most of the majority of the business community is of a certain party, you know? So I, I, I would question how does that dynamic work? And are we really pushing anything forward as far as saying, let's educate the voters and just make it easy to where everyone has access to vote versus whether we're making judgment calls and, you know, really labeling and splitting populations apart even more. What do y'all think about that um, as far as this North Carolina vote? And I'll add that I believe that Texas really feels that same way in the way that it's going 
because if you look at it, they're saying, right, we are going to be able to see the people who are at the polls and we're going to make it easier where bipartisan people can come and watch these people vote and they have better access into what you're doing while you're in what used to be a very private personal voting booth right so now i can have proud boys show up with guns because we're in texas and say oh you know all these people are voting blue and this is their license plate and this is this and it, it Again, it just opens up to me something that I, I feel like I want voting to be extremely simple. I want it to be the first right of every American to say, you know what, I'm going to go in privately, I'm going to make my choice and let the chips fall where they may. So I'll, I'll chime in here and I'll say what people do with information we can't control, right? So. I wouldn't necessarily say that if we make something transparent, then that means that we're going to get more outcry. I would say that whether it's making voting transparent, you know, our actual, we make our budget somewhat transparent, right? Somewhat transparent. But it's this idea that because we are being targeted, being oppressed, now removing the, or limiting the option, say limiting the option, limiting the option or the probability of, of people voting. So am I saying that because we have transparency around voting, does that mean that people should know everything about the individual? No, I think there's definitely some checks and balances there. But this idea that we shouldn't be talking about politics, that is one of the main issues that we have in our society that creates a division. If we talked about it, then we will be able to have things in the open and have an open debate, right? I remember watching The Great Debaters, a great movie, great movie out there. The Great Debaters, and here it is, people are debating just facts, debating, you know, even some, sometimes even opinion-based as well, but you're still debating that individual on topics, but you're not attacking the individual, right? What we're seeing now is that because someone wants to vote, because someone wants to exercise their, their right to, to do something in our, in our society, now we are attacking that individual wanting to take or take the power away from them. So looking at it's SB7, yeah, Senate Bill 7 that's focusing on, and the Senate Bill 7 here in Texas, is focusing on restricting how people's access is to voting. So some of the things, and I'm going to read it to make sure I'm on the same page. So as passed in the Senate, the legislation restrict, restricted early voting rules and schedules to do away with extended hours. So number one, you're getting rid of extended hours, which means that individuals who are now working nine to five, who have to you know, go through their job, aren't able to have the flexibility or have the privilege to go and vote after hours. So now the people who are able to vote are those that have the privilege already, that have a job that's more flexible or is able to, to make it fit within their schedule. So now we're constraining people to fit in a specific time frame when we know there's other factors or other reasons that make it difficult for them to vote. That's number one. Right. Number well, two. And well, just, just 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 to jump into that. Right. I mean, even if you if you don't read it from the legalese of a bill, you know exactly mm -hmm. what's happening. Right. These people, the Republicans, let's just say it, the Republicans suffered a loss, right? A grave loss with, with the last presidential election. Mm -hmm. Stopped, afraid, 
you know, almost, I feel like we have them on the ropes to a degree, yep. right? And this is a, this is a, this is an overreaction of fear of the only thing they have left, right? Which is, okay, we did not expect that many people to vote. This isn't like Bush back in, two, you know, 2008, when we threw out a bunch of uh, black votes in the Miami-Dade County area and nobody cared, right? We just got rid of 20,000 of them and said, you know what, we're not gonna recount this anymore, just he wins, right? All of these people showed up, this diverse coalition, young, old, you know, all over, like the city of Houston is probably the best example of it. Um, it did not matter your gender. It did not matter your income. It did not matter your education level, like a really broad coalition of people, right? But it's all in an urban area. And so what they've done is they've said, okay, how can we restrict that access in that specific way? It's a very surgical way to attack this. We've done gerrymandering for years. Now we have to just stop and say, all right, can we knock out some of these single mothers? Can we intimidate people who may think, you know, this could be criminal, right? And this is for that Hispanic population and that immigrant Asian uh, uh, population and people who are just not wanting to rock the boat because they haven't been here that long. Or maybe someone in their family hasn't been there that long, however that looks. But we really need to look at it from that angle and say, this is a direct attack on something, on a victory, right? And this is how they are responding to it. Yeah, I think the problem is, uh, well, actually, a couple of statements. One is, from a debating perspective, we don't teach people how to have a conversation where they may or may not disagree, right? And, and whether that's schooling or parenting, uh, you know, I've, I've got a handful of boys and what I try to do is not just dictate what they are required to do with no back talk, right? Um, but then if you, if you expand that into the schools, they don't really teach civics or civic engagement. And then we are not teaching people about their city, about how a state operates, about how the federal government operates. So people can't really have a conversation about what a government is supposed to do for them. So instead now we, we rely on our media, right? Uh, but then now, right, people in power never want to give power up. And the best way to do that is to restrict voting. It's easier to withhold votes from your competition than it is to increase your own votes uh, in this environment. Because, it, you know, for, for better or worse, actually for worse, it's always race to the bottom. People are fast and loose with the truth. Critical thinking is out the window for the most part. And marketing has proven that people will do what they're supposed to do. And I think you mentioned a good one too, uh, Chris, on the topic of, uh, what did you the, you said um, peer pressure? I think I think is is what you said. Yeah. I think the the way you came around it was uh, you know people might be pressured into doing something because they're reading about what business is doing. But on the flip side, if we were educated about our vote and everybody voted, we would be voting for the uh, values 
that we believe we share with the individuals that we spend our money with. And I think some of that conversation comes up when we think about the NFL, right? The, the NFL is full of black men, except for in leadership positions. And then we say, well, how come there's no head coaches? Okay, well, the head coach and the GM, that's, that becomes a business. Now, they're, now we're talking about the executive front office of these organizations. Now we start looking at these owners. And oh, by the way, out of 32 owners, I don't know the number that were Trump supporters, but it was a large number, right? Only a handful of the richest, most powerful people, and I'll call them rich and powerful in the United States, are democratic leaning people and they make the decisions for our marketing, right? Because football is a marketing powerhouse, which means they are also determining what commercials we're consuming in some form or fashion. But they're also talking about or managing how these players are being used in just that sport. And that, that's just a little sport, right? I mean, football is important, but it's important to the culture. So if you expand that and think about what football would be like or what basketball would be like or what hospitals would be like or what communities would be like, if we, if we were always voting and our votes impacted the community, which ultimately then impacted our leadership and our decision makers, uh, I think that transparency would, transparency along with an investment in education and people actually caring about voting um, would change the dynamic. And then we wouldn't, we wouldn't even have this, hopefully, we wouldn't even have this conversation where people are trying to block individuals from being able to vote. Right, that's unnecessary because the whole you would think <laughs> that people like to compete, right? But but that's not what it is. This is not competition, and it's not fair when it comes to politics. What they're trying to do is win power to keep themselves in power, and the people in power are rich Republicans. Except you know, and and you know, the other thing is even just bringing in the rich business people who fund these conversations. We don't ever really hear, and and maybe they do this, maybe they don't but we never really hear of activists in large number, activists, democratic billionaires. I, I understand that, that maybe there's a few of them, maybe there's not, but usually we're always hearing about the activist Republican billionaires and they're funneling money to random shit that's usually anti everybody else, uh, especially in this day and age. And I, I would say probably beginning with the Tea Party, when, when, when that Tea Party stood up and said, we're, whatever their platform was back then, which at the time seemed extreme, they were being uh, funded by small groups of very wealthy people. The reason that's possible, I, I think, is because we have a, um, there is no community engagement and there's no civic lessons at the earliest ages where then people come out of school or, or hit the age of 18 and believe that they are supposed to vote because they recognize that voting is how they ensure their own well-being. There's, let me ask you a question. There's a let, me, let, me, let me ask you a question on that. Um, if you 
if we if we propose that the rich, the powerful, the business, let's say, you know, the, the pretty much the capitalist business community, right? If we propose that they are the ones who are funding and winning the Republican vote and putting up those politicians, correct? Um, yep, I agree. Are we, saying, assumption. are we saying that that's different for the Democrats? Yeah, for sure. Um, if you if you listen to the language, right? When I mean, again, I believe this, and and just thinking about the language that's that's spoken about, it's always small donor, small dollar donors, and grassroots organizations. Right? We're not hearing about the billionaire Koch oh, no, okay. brothers <laughs> and the billionaire. Right. So so let me ask you this. And we can, I guess we can start with maybe 2000, I guess. Clinton, right? Well, we can go before that. Let's, let's just do the eighties. You got Reagan, Bush, you get a, you get two years of Clinton. um, You get Bush two, you get Obama, you get one Trump, you get, now you get Biden. Like it's almost even it's neck and neck, right? We're not really, from that standpoint, at least nationally, we have kind of a balance. So I can't say that those rich donors are doing, you know, are are winning that battle. Texas could be different because it's a solidly red state. But then again, I feel like those lines go back to, we can go back to the Civil War, right? The bottom half of the country is red used to be Democrat and slaveholding. Then they switched over and they, they became, you know, from the Dixiecrats to the Republicans, right? Back in the eighties when they made that switch. Um, so I'm just wondering, is that too, I don't want to say simplistic as if mm-hmm. we're thinking simplistically, it's just, is it too simple to think that, you know, business, red, bad, small rebel alliance, Star Wars, blue Democrats. You know what I mean? I think Democrats have a lot of money. I'm in, I'm in Rhode Island. Um, one, of the, one of the things I've learned, you know, no one thinks about moving to Rhode Island, first of all, especially somebody like me from Texas, you know? Um, it's too small. It's, it, it just doesn't have a history or a national ringing, but it's a solidly blue state. But one of the things that the, uh, Brown University put out is they did a study and they found out, right, there's a grade of Democrat. There are some really conservative Democrats, which means they hold the same values as what a Republican voter in North Texas would hold, but they'll vote blue because that's the area here, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if when you expand on this point, right? Because because I want you to keep making it. Is it are we constraining the conversation too much by by just saying, you know, we've got to educate people more, and first of all, we've got to stop these businesses because the business community is the one that is ruining the country and giving us the Trumps, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, good point. <clears throat> I would say uh, I'm not saying that it's the business community, right? The business community includes a lot of people. I'm saying powerful billionaires who 
have a culture, cultural uh, uh, influence on the country. So yes, we can talk about the president and the head of the, of the, of the country, but it's more about the state houses and the judges and the decisions that you can make at your, um, at your local level and then how that pipelines up as it relates to the people who are voting. And usually in, in communities, the people of color and those who are probably, um, I don't even wanna say underrepresented, those who are discouraged from being active participants are actively discouraged. And a lot of that trickles down from the culture wars, right? If we talk about um, the funding to push uh, Supreme Court justices, mm -hmm. right? That is a that that's not a voter registration conversation. That is a who paid whom in the small circles of federal and state government to ensure that people lined up appropriately. Because at the end of the day, politics is a business, right? And if you step outside the line, right. you may not get reelected. And these are people's jobs. Now, you know, many times people start with that hope to make change, but not everybody is there. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's the quote unquote business community. What I'm saying though is we have very wealthy people in the states who actively support anti-democratic ideals. And then they don't necessarily stand up. So for example, the, a lot of the um, questions coming out of Atlanta and Georgia in general was, why are these organizations saying Black Lives Matter, but then not speaking out against this anti-voting stuff? And that's across the country. Well, the reason that they're not speaking out about it is because these ideals either overlap with their personal opinion or they know that they receive funding and are in business because they rely on the dollars from the people who share these same opinions. Right, right. Yeah. Michael Dell yeah. speaking up um, recently, which was, you know, solid Republican, by the way, right? To your point, one of the billionaires of Texas, solid Republican. And it was this Voting Rights Act that actually made him come out and say this isn't right. So right. I see, a, a, you know, great point. Because yeah. so, values are one thing, right? Like I can, I mean, people who know me know <laughs> I can be conservative, right? In, in some circles, I'm the Black Republican friend. <laughs> uh, was pre-Trump, pre-Trump. <laughs> Um, really? But interesting. Okay. But, um, but that doesn't mean that my that. You, but how we talk about what is important and what's not, whether you can debate one thing or the other, right? There's always that debate. But when we talk about voting, when we talk about actively restricting people's access to voting, everyone who believes in competitive democracy and representation should be for getting as many votes 
into the bag as possible to ensure that everyone is represented. And actually, one thing that came up too in a, in a different thread is like states that have two senators but one representative. If you think about the way that operates, that means that there are states in the United States that have almost zero population relative to the largest populated states, but they have the exact same power and influence. That is exponentially unfair, but it's created that way. Yeah, well, and that that was, you know, there's a, you can say that 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 it was set up that way purposely to give the oh for sure agriculture ones. Um, I wonder then, you know, what we're speaking to it 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 seems like we're speaking to voter apathy, right? I think we both under we all understand that what's happening in Texas with these laws, right? These aren't these aren't thought out laws. I think one of the quotes that stood out to me from uh, the Houston Chronicle yesterday, the uh, when the one of the Republican senators was asked, you know, did you see any idea of voter fraud? He said, we don't need to have it happen to try to prevent it in the future, right? Basically admitting, look, there was no fraud, nothing really happened. So we're doing this because we wanna make sure there's no fraud. Okay, I'll give you that piece. But on the other piece of it, what you're really trying to do, your real aim is to stop participation and restrict access. Now, for us, the question becomes, okay, if they're trying to restrict access, we just need to get more people to vote. I think, and don't quote me on this, and you two may know better, what's the, what's the, what's the voter rate in, in Texas? Like 30%? Laughably low. I think, it might be, it, I think uh, I'm sure we can Google it and somebody else can, but whatever the number was most recently, it was like two times that from before and, and before it was maybe like 10%. Right. Something so, terrible. Right. So for people of our stance, whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether whatever you are, as long as you believe, in, and I love that term you used, which was democratic competitiveness, I believe, something along mm -hmm. those lines. Um, yeah. How do we, how do we get that apathy, Right. Education, we've mentioned, um, but there's something more, right? And, and and look, this is something that I fight with personally, even within my own family, right? I've got cousins, my mother, you know, people who just will not vote, <laughs> no matter what's on the line. Um, but in, in reality, that's the quickest path to a victory over something like this. Okay, do what you want to do. We're still all going to show up, just like we would show up if you know. Patty LaBelle was giving out, you know, free pies <laughs> during Thanksgiving, right? You know, we'll stand around the line for that. How can we get people to stand around the line for this? Mm -hmm. So I got a couple of things on that. So the first is I want to acknowledge the challenge with that, right? The challenge with people caring 100% about voting is two twofold. So I'm going to say two main things. One is our time, energy, and attention is elsewhere. Right. We have so many other distractions. And this goes back to uh, our one of our previous episodes. So if you haven't watched uh, Attack on Democracy or the American Trap, we definitely recommend y'all go back and watch those episodes or listen to those episodes. Uh, but we're just too distracted and don't have the time, energy to put into what it really takes to understand politics. Do you know how complicated it is to track a bill? 
it is the most, it's the, it is purposely, mind you, all this is intentional. Everything that it was created for a reason in America. But it is so complicated just to track a bill, to understand the language and the way it's even written, it confuses people. So just to try to be engaged takes a lot of mental capacity that, that we as individuals don't really have because of all the different distractions that we have overall. That's one. The second thing goes back to my vote don't matter, right? You know, I, well, what, what the, it goes back to the, either the electoral college or they believe that even if they do vote, then it's not going to get counted anyway, or, or they're not sure if it's going to be documented correctly. All so, right. All right. right. All, all, all of the, all that, right. So, so the way that I see, and this goes back to the transparency, one of the ways, one of the ways is to make it, make voting transparent across the board. So it may not be transparent to the point where, and then we can even dive into this, right? So when I say transparency, it doesn't mean that, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be visible to everybody in the world, right? You know, I, I truly believe that, but no, let's take it back a step. But we can leverage any type of, of system, and, I, and I'm really a big proponent of, of um, blockchain technology and using voting um, as a mechanism, or you're using blockchain as a mechanism to validate the voting, but at least giving the individual voter their, their own access to their own data. So if I'm voting, I should at least be able to log in and see, okay, did y'all actually cast my vote correctly, right? Or do I need to go back and call somebody because what I'm seeing is not correct. And we can have multiple levels of accountability in that as well. But that, that, that's one way, right? Allowing transparency to be the equalizer to at least show people that, look, this is your vote. Like you can actually touch it, see it, and feel it to get some accountability. But then the other thing that I would add is that we need to go back to honestly just asking people what they want, just an individual person, right? Let's remove, you know, who makes the decision, just ask them, hey, would you want to have a say in this? If that person says yes, it should be the same for everybody, right? And when I'm saying everybody, we're talking about American citizens because American citizens vote in our country, right? So if you're an American citizen and one American citizen wants to vote, well, all American citizens should be should be should have the right to vote, right? If an American citizen wants food on their table, all American citizens should have food on their table, right? I think if we focus on our similarities and what you want, Republican, what you want, Democrat, what you want, uh, um, anybody else in between, whether you are independent, whether you are socialist. Whether you're a communist, whether you are, whatever you are living in, the, in this country, there's be many different things that still be American citizen. Uh, but if you are here and you at least like care about something, well, let's have that be the same across the board for everybody. Because it shouldn't matter whether or not you agree with that person. And I think that's where the tension comes in about whether I agree with you. That doesn't matter. It should be the fact that this is what this is your right. This is what it is that it sh that you have the ability to go for. So voting is just one example, but the same thing could be applied for all Americans. So if my house is on fire or my neighbor's house is on fire, I want the firefighters to come and put out that fire. I don't care who house is burning, right? It, it could be my enemy's house burning on fire, like time out. I don't want my enemy's house on fire, even though I don't, you know, quote unquote enemy or don't like that person, but it should be the same mindset. So this idea that only certain people could have access, only certain people 
need to vote because I may or may not agree with them. That mentality, that culture, that is what the issue is. And I believe adding transparency, really simplifying the ask and just asking people if they care about this issue. And if they care, then everybody should have the right to do that. But that, that, that'll take a lot, of, a lot of push and a lot of energy to get there, fellas. Definitely. You know, I was talking with, um, you know, everybody's always in these different threads. <clears throat> but to your point about transparency and the concept of not everybody being free to vote, that's actually how it started, right? Like when we talk about the foundations of any process or system, the foundation is extremely important. Voters were landowners to start, period, right? And a landowner represents people with power. They have power because you, that you stayed on their land. They charged you for it. Somehow they amassed enough wealth to get that land. Therefore, they get to make decisions for themselves and the people on their land. And the comment was made that the insurgency inside of America is actually the desire to believe that we should be free and equal to the people in power, that my vote should be counted next to Bezos' vote, for example. That is actually the obnoxious and obscene request. If you think about it from the, from the gaze of where we started, where it was land owning males with probably some other statements behind even that to say who should be given the right to vote. Then you, and, and that, and people, black people, right? Africans weren't even considered humans or people who would have an opportunity to vote. So then you start doing voting right act and it's like, all right, well, all right. I can see how they may want to vote, but can they read? That's, I mean, people, people talk about voting taxes, but ultimately the, the, the first voting tax was, do you have land? Actually, I end up, here's a story that I, I'll, I'll say in the third person. Uh, one time I found myself in a substation in Volusia County. And I remember that the guy, this white guy, older white gentleman, he says to the police officer, I am a taxpayer. Now this dude was shit faced and he belonged in the substation. I was not, I was sober. I was in the substation for being black in Volusia County. But this dude said with pride and dignity, I am a tax paying landowner. I should be able to go free. And those were the two, regardless of what he did and the reasons he was standing there next to me. He felt that because he paid taxes and was a landowner, that he shouldn't be uh, held accountable for his actions. And I think that's how people actually feel. So that when they have this experience where, oh my God, Georgia is blue and it's Stacey Abrams' fault, the question is what happened to the system that allowed all of these people, one, people who shouldn't be voting, as far as they're concerned to vote and then two to be able to actually build a coalition <laughs> where excellent. the people yeah. who could vote voted yeah. with them no that's i mean excellent like and that that goes back to everything we're seeing is a reaction like they were they were they were dumbfounded right in awe 
unbelievable that all of these people and 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 you know one of my favorite moments probably in life is is always going to be from 2020 and and there's going to be two of them trump getting covid right <laughs> and which you know not to be mean about it but after so much denial and then being forced to say okay this is a real thing and we should probably start you know getting serious about it and then the second was that week of all the votes coming and slowly but surely getting to the Biden win. And just like you said, you could see the wheel spinning of everybody on the Republican side, which was unbelievable. Philadelphia showed up and all of these black people, Atlanta, Georgia, all of these black people, really every city you could think of, just this influx of people who for the last 30, 40 years, they were able to suppress those votes, you know? So to see them double down on what has worked for them in the past, but if you think about it, the fact that we're here hasn't really worked for them. It's just been something very effective to slow progress, um, mm -hmm. you know? But, but so, and, and here we are again, they're, they're gonna run the same play and you said it beautifully. Okay, well, first we're gonna do it on land. Then we're gonna do it on you know, mail. Then we're gonna say, okay, we'll allow the blacks, but women still can't vote. Then women get to vote. Then, you know, and, and just always some restriction to, to, to give a certain people the agency to control how life is going to be. And the other people to say, you just accept it because we're the ones who are smart and should be in control or, you know, it's, it's our God-given right from whatever religion we believe in, however that works. So I think that's an excellent point. Yeah, I'll just add that as I, hear, uh, as I hear you, Donald, talk about that, and I'm just thinking through, and even you, Chris, were just talking, you know, there's always going to be something, and the way that we can overcome that is to get more people out to vote. Definitely agree with that because we don't have a lot, we don't have civic engagement in our community, right, in our society. Some people vote, but people that vote have privilege or have been educated in, in that capacity. However, as I look at voter suppression, I look at us going, you know, pretty much going backwards towards the Jim Crow eras. And then I see police brutality killing many different individuals, but predominantly black men, you know, that, that's at the top of the, of the um, um, top of the list there, either police brutality killing black men or putting black men to the criminal justice system. Now those are two ways that we are now even affecting black men from voting, right? Either killing them or incarcerating them where it now thus impacts a number of people that can't vote. So you mentioned it was, oh, we're gonna do by land. They said we're gonna restrict their, uh, the mail-in ballot. We're gonna restrict the time that, we're, that, they, that they vote. We're gonna make them criminals and then we're gonna start killing them. Right. So as I think about just the numbers and populations and the fact that there was so much turnout, you know, last year, I see another tactic by, I'm going to say, you know, some Republicans, you know, some people in power, some police officers is that, oh, one way for us to stop them from turning out, let's get rid of them. Right. And we're seeing that in many different ways, whether it's police brutality whether it's, oh, let's not support their black businesses and let the black businesses um, go out or die out, which we've seen from COVID and, and who got funding, who didn't get funding to support their businesses. So now you have used multiple streams or multiple ways to negatively impact the communities 
from having the from having from being able to actually execute their right to vote. Of course, yeah, no, excellent point. There's, it's a full court press, you know. But I think we're up we're up to the task. Yeah, <clears throat> I you know I think we all have different groups where we debate ideas and topics. And I'm of the mindset that uh, we should leave. Uh, and it, it doesn't even necessarily. Who are you to... telling? I, I completely, completely agree with you on that. I, I fully believe yeah. all, all the members of the global majority should be like, all right, America, y'all really, really want your country? All right, let's see how well y'all really do if all of us actually need. Yeah, I, but you know, and where, where that, where it falls apart, is. <sighs> Because America is the global hegemon and we disrupt the agency of other countries, we keep the pipeline such that people want to come here. So when you try to articulate the concept of departing for mental health reasons, that's not enough because of the material benefit sold to us as Americans, right? Like, oh, in America, you can get a Tesla, even if you work at blank, right? But that means that we are in that, I was thinking to myself last night, the only way for you to get the cheese in the rat race is to jump out of the rat race. But because we're in a rat race, racing for the cheese, we don't know it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, like a, it's like a little trap. Definitely. The American trap. Yeah. Check our previous uh. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we thank you for listening and ask that you click that like button and subscribe to Culture Crawl ATX wherever you listen to your podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and heard something you can take back to your friends and family. Please follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn. And remember, you can always find the latest episodes on culturecrawlatx.com.